Steve, we're back. The Good Steelers are not back. I don't know what the Steelers are, but here we are. We've got football this weekend. They don't. That's true. They, <laughs> they, they certainly, they certainly forgot to show up. That's for sure. It was bad. Oh, hey, but we're here. We we didn't forget to show up. Exactly. Although you did have to text me. And I, but I didn't forget. I just forgot to send the rundown, but you handled it. That's why there's two of us. This is the Stuff Summer Says podcast with... Steve. Steve. Steve, today on the show, we have a guest, and it is one of my favorite sports writers ever, and apparently someone that you've known like all of your life. Longer than you've been alive. Longer than I've been alive. It's Dana O'Neill of The Athletic. She's a college basketball writer. She's also a very good human. Um... She also, as I as we kick off the, the interview with, loves Charlie Brown more than me. And for anybody that listens to this, they know how much I love Charlie Brown. So I'm conceding the fact that she likes Charlie Brown more than me. That's how much she likes Charlie Brown and Snoopy. She actually, I think she she mentioned she it, Snoopy but she likes Snoopy more than yep. than than Charlie Brown. So um, we've got a couple other things. Then we want to talk about the Nickelodeon, and then we've got a a, a good. Old guy, young guy. Not as great as last week. I got multiple text messages about last week's old guy, young guy. I want to hear about the text when we get there. That's great. Well, it was one of them was from your daughter, and then one of them was from somebody else, and they were just like, "How have you never heard of in television?" And, but but we'll we'll save. Your daughter was just laughing. She said it was hilarious. So it was. We should probably like print this out and use it as our hook for for what she said because this was it was a rave review. So go ahead and take a listen to the Dana O'Neill interview, and we'll be right back after that. Steve, this week on the show, we are joined by truly someone that I consider to be an idol. She was my collegian mentor. Um, not not only do I consider a sports journalism idol, but I also consider her a life idol. She's a Penn State football fan. She has two incredibly handsome dogs. She has more knowledge about Charlie Brown than I do, and That's she's true. a Bruce Springsteen fan. She's Dana O'Neill. Hi, Dana. Hi, Darian. I don't think I can live up to any of that, but thank you. Except for the peanuts part. I own that. I will totally own that. I, I have some questions on that later. Okay. Actually, you know what? I'm going to get right into that one. Of If you could only watch one of the Charlie Brown specials for the rest of your life, of, of the three, core three, which one are you picking? You're like, uh. You're very antsy in your seat right now. I know it's made me very nervous. I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Um, actually, I'm gonna go understated and Charlie Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Oh, see, that would have been third on my list. I would really? Have said, I would have said. See, I like the whole Snoopy popcorn toast. Uh, okay, that's a good point. There's a lot of Snoopy in in that one, and I'm a yeah, big Snoopy that's why person. It, that's why. So, I like there, it. there's a tipper. Yeah. All right. Um, she, as I said, Dana O'Neill. She is. I'm reading her bio off of The Athletic, where she currently works as a senior writer. Um, she has more than 25 years of sports writing. Um, Dana, not to make you feel old, but I'm 26. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I don't feel so Fantastic. Bad Somebody else's turn. Thank you very much. Um, she previously worked at ESPN and the Philadelphia Daily News. She's won multiple awards. Um, and she also has a book called Long Shots, chronicling Vill- Villanova's journey to a national champi- championship. And you have another book on the way, is that correct? Yeah, uh, in October, thereabouts, uh, I will have a book out on the Big East. So it's basically sort of a, a narrative love story, if you will, to the Big East um, from its founding to kind of present day, taking you behind the scenes, some of the 
crazy iconic moments and coaches. It's it's been a lot of fun to work on. I mean, it, I joked all summer when people were miserable in the middle of COVID. I was living in the '80s. It was awesome. Um, it's been it's been so much fun. So yeah, that'll be out in the fall. Awesome, awesome. We'll get to that a little bit more. Um, Steve, do you want to ask your? Go ahead. You go. You go first. Ooh, yay me. Uh, the summer thing was good because because you were busy in this this season now. What's different about what you? I mean, I know we know what's different. What's different about what you're doing in terms of how you're doing your job on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, I think I tell everybody my biggest problem isn't even logistics of doing the job. It's the feeling like I feel detached from the season. You know, like usually you're bouncing around from campus to campus and game to game, and you're seeing stuff in front of you, and you really kind of feel like you're in it, right? This is like, I'm watching it on TV, I'm catching games here and there, I'm talking to coaches on the phone or players or whatever I can do to stay in it, but it feels like it's happening like over there. Like I'm here and my sport is happening over there. Um, So that's just been really hard to just stay connected to it. I mean, everyone has been so agreeable about setting up interviews and answering the phone. You know, it's basically putting all your reporting skills to really good use because you can't see it. You got to get people to talk about it, which is hard. Um, but I just feel like I don't know. I just feel like I I I feel like I'm existing above the sport and I'm not in it, which is really strange. So, are there questions you're asking this year that you wouldn't have had to ask in previous years? Right when you're talking about to explain it to you or whatever else, how do yeah. how do you get over that? Yeah, we actually talked about this at the beginning of the season at The Athletic. We had like a, a little kind of seminar on it, if you will, um, because you have to really get nitty gritty. Like I talked to a player today and he was talking about telling this story about playing basketball and learning from a young woman who taught him how to really work on a shot. I'm like, but what's her name? Such and such. Oh, where was this? You know, gives me the name of the town. Well, where were you playing outside? And it's like so it's one thing to do that when you're in front of a person, but it's another when you have to interrupt them and because we can't get any scene right i can't go to a practice and watch an interaction between a coach and a player i can't go to a game or shadow a guy on campus or whatever sit across from him and see facial recognition facial reactions you really have to like pry for those minute details to hope that your story won't just be flat so you've got to make it sound like you know you're sitting in front of them and so it really requires i think a lot of probing and patience. Steve, or you alluded it to there, Dana. Um, Steve and I both have kind of said that our of all of our subscriptions, whether it be Hulu, Amazon, The Athletic is kind of number one. What is it like to work at The Athletic, and how is it different than you know where you've been in the past? And I don't want to put words into your mouth, but is it kind of like when you're in in the honors classes and like <laughs> it, like everybody's so good at what they do, it's like you got to be just as good. Yeah. Like you got to bring your A game. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm chronically humbled every day when I go on our site and I start reading something. I'm like, oh man, I couldn't have written that. I wouldn't have thought of that idea. That's awesome. Like wow. Um, yeah, every day. I always go back to when I um, spoke to Alex Mather, our one of our founders, any Penn State graduate. Um, about joining The Athletic when he laid out his kind of mission for what it was going to be. I remember turning to my husband and saying, I spoke to my journalistic fairy godfather because it's everything that as a journalist you want to do. It's it's writing good stories. It's in-depth. It's taking your time. It's not that pressure to put out, you know, a 200-word list. 
it's no, no, take your time. It's not even that pressure after a game to have to write a story. If you need to take two extra days and write a better story, take it. It's, um, it's such a writer's shop. I mean, I go to my editor and I pitch him ideas and he says yay or nay, but most often he says yay. I mean, my famous one that I said, I went to him, um, the sports information director at Gallaudet, the Deaf University, which is a D3 school. The sports information director is the chair, or was the chair at the time, of that D3 selection committee. Pretty obscure little story. And they're like, yeah, write it. Absolutely. If I had gone to ESPN when I worked there, they'd been like, no. Like, no one's going to read that. You know, the athletic says, no, there's probably an audience for that. We have, it has reassured me and recommitted me to the fact that people do read and want to read and want good stories and good storytelling. So, yeah, it's been, um, it's made me a better writer. It's reinvigorated me. I, I love it. It's it's just a great place to be. Who are you writing for? Like, who is your, you know, some, they used to say picture your audience or whatever. Right. Who, who are you writing for? Yeah, it's interesting that you asked me that, Steve, because I think it's all over the map. Because sometimes it's not, it's, sometimes it's a very specific fan base like you know you write this story and you know the Tennessee fan base is going to eat this up right um but more for us I mean we hope that that that's going to be our, our you know our small audience but you want to try to find a story that's got a broader appeal and so you know odds are most people that are reading our stuff are college basketball fans but there's always that chance that you write something that's unique that kind of gets above that threshold so you're always looking for the story that kind of doesn't just go to one school and one group. It's a bunch of schools, just people. I mean, I wrote a story about, a, uh, I'm sorry, a field hockey player at Princeton. Uh, she ended up getting pregnant twice during her Princeton career, missed seasons, came, got married, had babies, was playing on a number one team. I'm thinking... I mean, I wrote it because it's a Princeton, it's 30 minutes from my house. I'm thinking eight people will read this thing. When I tell you, so we generate, we we do things by subs, like how many people subscribe to the story. And if you get more than 10, you're phenomenal. That thing did over 500 subs. I have wow. no idea why, right? Wow. But it just resonated with somebody and just kept getting passed on. So that's kind of the cool part of the job. You just don't know. And I think that's the freedom. Like you don't have to write just for this audience. You, you can say, all right, put it out there and see if you can find an audience. It's kind of cool. So, who, so, oh, go ahead, Steve, go ahead. To follow up, who are you competing with and how do you know you're, you're doing well? Like the, the 500 subs, woohoo, yeah. right? But talk me through the competition and, and, and how you know you're doing well. Yeah, I think the competition is the same as it's always been. It's all the other national outlets, outlets right? Like ESPN and Sports Illustrated, mm -hmm. Yahoo, you know, to an extent, the New York Times and Washington Post. Um, I think it's also sometimes, you know, local people, right? Like, I mean, obviously, beat writers have great insight to their teams, generally speaking. So if you come in, you don't want to retell a story because you want to give um, someone who's a Penn State basketball fan, for example, a reason to subscribe. So I'm, I want to don't just give them the bare bones that everyone else is giving them at the CDT. I want to give them something a little different. So broader views tend to be better. Um, how we know we do well, I think it's a combination. Certainly, they measure, we give all kinds of metrics. We get the subs, which is how many people subscribe to your particular story, like that, that story. Um, we can see how many people who are um, subscribers have read it. We can see how many people, what percentage of the story that they actually read. Um, we have all kinds of metrics. And I think the goal is like, look, swing hard and, and just hope you make contact more often than not. Um, okay. there's no like, 
stop writing this because it failed. Like, it's not like that. It's If a story needs to be told, we're going to tell it, even if we think, okay, that, you know, whatever. Clemson basketball does not move the needle because Clemson football. But if there's a good Clemson basketball story, it doesn't mean we're not going to tell it. So it, that's kind of how we judge it. Cool. You, you got into it there a little bit. Um, one of the things that I've always liked about you in your writing and just kind of one of the things that I really also like about The Athletic is, is you all have done such a great job of telling the personal side to stories and telling kind of not so much the X's and O's of sports, not that you can't get that coverage from The Athletic, but there's, there's people behind the athlete. Mm-hmm. But one of my truly one of you have you have two of my top three favorite sports journalism Uh-oh. stories ever. So your your gamer from the the, the Villanova game about the the mop, um, which is <laughs> Daniel is, Chester, is one yeah. of my favorite. That's that's one of my my favorite. But my probably one of my other favorites is the Matthew McConaughey story. Yeah, <laughs> that was so, so much fun, as you I'm might so, imagine. <laughs> yes, I have to ask. And I, I hope that the, I'm not asking this to be obtuse or whatever, but was that conversation life changing in any shape or fashion? <laughs> like, what was that conversation like? And, and, you know, why do you think that story resonated so well? Well, it's funny because so that was one of those stories. So if you remember, before I wrote the story, he had been on the Texas bench dressed in his like burnt orange suit during a basketball game and dubbed himself this minister of culture. And I'm like, what in the world? So I asked about talking to Matthew McConaughey, I, I, I went through sports information, I found out who his agent was. We worked through that, trying to write that story, it took like five months to pull off because of his schedule, my schedule, not really my schedule, let's be honest, his schedule, <laughs> yeah, I, they said, yes, come Tuesday, yes, I'll be there. Um, his schedule and more like timing it so it was relevant and all of that sort of thing. Um, so, and it was one of those things like, I honestly went to my, to the sports information director saying, okay, this is a stupid long shot request. I'm sure you're going to say you're crazy, Dana. And he's like, well, actually, here's here's the agent. You never know. So I sent this email to the agent thinking, there's no way they're going to do this. She writes back, yeah, let's do it. I was like, well, what, what? <laughs> what just happened here? Um, I think what was life-changing, first of all, he's so he's so interesting. He truly is. Like, he's not, look, he's an actor. He could have totally been schnookering me. I get that. Right. But... He was very interesting. He was very in-depth. He was very, seemed genuine to me, his passion for Texas, his passion for what he was doing. What I thought was so cool about it, he was so stinking normal. Like, <laughs> seriously. It was like I'm talking to you. Like, he's, it was actually funny. At one point, like, his people are fluttering about, and they're just like, hey, we got to move this along. He's like, man, no, I'm good. I'm not in a hurry. He's like, you stay as long as you want. When you're done asking me questions, we're done. I'm like, okay. I mean, he puts on his suit for his – this was my, – my girlfriends were like, what? He puts on his little burnt orange suit for the photo session, and so he like kind of had to go get changed in, like, the, the outside of the entryway to the stadium. And he comes out, and, you know, you know how guys – you have to pop your collar over your suit jacket. He's like, can you fix this? I'm like, sure, sexiest man in the world. I'll fix your suit collar. Why not? <laughs> like, am I going to say no to that? Um, oh, my God. But he was so just funny. so chill, and I, what I loved about it was I think it just kind of brought, like – this is sports, right? Like, you can be a really big deal, and you are as passionate. He's as passionate about Texas football as, and basketball as I am about Penn State. We had that in common, and it was so cool. It was so cool. Yeah, that, that story. So I have to admit that, I, I mean, I have a man crush on Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> That's I mean, okay. What man doesn't? 
But I, I that story, I, I, I went back last night and reread it because I was like, it's just, it's truly one of my favorite stories, and it <laughs> does it, it does such a great job of profiling him. But as you said, it kind of, once again, makes somebody real. Like, yeah, like, like you said, like I feel the same way about Penn State football. I feel the same way about the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's, it's the same type of thing. And yep. I think that was one of the cool things that the, the athletic has really done, that I think has put it has taken sports journalism to the next level. Yeah, I think that's sort of always been our goal is like like I remember when Alex again talked to me the first time his 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 argument was or his rationale was and it's just something all journalists know but we always tend to forget. It's like if you're in a locker room and 75 people are crowding around the running back, I would prefer you turn around and go talk to the offensive lineman, which is always great advice, right? But we lose that sometimes. And that's his his whole point was go find the stories, find a tiny little thread and pull it and see what happens. I did a story at Tennessee. I went down to talk to Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams about Rick Barnes, really. And we went out to dinner. And as we're sitting there in dinner, Admiral picked out, pulled up on his phone. I forget how he even got on the topic. Showing me before and after pictures of himself after this weight training thing. And they were amazing. So I went back down there. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's take that. Tell me that story. Like, how did that happen? And it became this whole thing about the whole you know, how the, these these players came to be. It wasn't just him. It was Grant Williams. It was all of them. So that's kind of the cool stuff that we get to do, right? Like, we're not beholden to what's just in front of us or reporting on the X's and O's and the wins and the losses. It's kind of like the, the whys of the wins and the, and the losses and the who's, if you will. That access and pr- that perspective, A, and the access, how, how did you in your career get comfortable but get used to asking for the access right the athletic probably gives you a little more access than somebody else might have because of where you're at but earlier in your career when you were other places how did you sell yourself or get that access or say hey let me let me pull on that string let me follow you at this place let me yeah you know shadow you do whatever yeah and i tell people especially young like college age students all the time like be patient with yourself you're not going to come in and storm the bastille tomorrow you're just not when I was a beat writer, I was a beat writer, and I did what I did, and I showed up, and you know, I, I, nobody knew who I was, and I didn't care, so I just did my job. And so when what I started out was when I was at Villanova, or I was at the Daily News, I was covering Villanova. Um, practice was open. I went to practice every day, so they knew who I was, and I knew who they were, and that was the first entree. So then all of a sudden you're at Villanova, and you're covering the Big East with some regularity. So. I made it a point to introduce myself to the sports information directors when I went to their, you know, road games and just, hey, I'm so-and-so, thank you for your help, nice to meet you. So they knew who I was. Um, Same thing with coaches. I think one of the lost arts of journalism, um, if you get the opportunity and you have a one-on-one with somebody, introduce yourself. Like, I know that sounds stupid, but how many people forget to do that, right? Like, we know who they are. Don't assume that they know who we are. But so when I got to ESPN, though, I mean, my knowledge was pretty tiny. Like I, I didn't, I couldn't even name who was in the MIAC, let alone like name the coaches. Um, and I was really lucky because they didn't expect me to. They gave me the freedom to go out and write features for a while. Like we had Mark Schleyball, Pat Forty, and Andy Katz were pretty much covering colleges, so I was doing games and stuff. But they would say, "Hey, go go write a feature, and that way you can get to know the coach." I went to Peach Jam. Um, and I sat next to coaches and I didn't even take out my notebook. I just introduced myself. I sat next to Roy Williams for 40 minutes. He talked about golf. I don't play. I just let him talk. Cause I was like, Oh, he'll, maybe he'll remember me. So 
that's what you have to do. You have to show up, you have to introduce yourself, and you have to be patient. You're, they're not going to know you overnight. But once they do, and they trust you, you then you earn your access. You have to earn it, frankly. You can't just demand it. You have to earn it. And you can earn access in that I can go to practice. That's fine. But there's a different level of you can go to practice or you can be trusted and let into the inner circle. Like, once I knew I could go to a Duke practice, I knew I was good. Like that, I had crossed like the Holy Grail, right? But truthfully, I worked hard to get there. I earned that. I didn't just demand it. I earned Mike Krzyzewski's trust to get in there. So that's what you have to do. You have to earn people's trust by treating them well, by being nice to the people who are beneath them. Don't stomp on the sports information directors that are your best friends. Treat them kindly. Write good stories. Be fair. Answer the phone when they call you if they want to complain about something. And be accountable. You're really good, and I mean, again, from the Penn State perspective, and I know through the Basketball Writers Association, mentoring and, and, and talking to, to young reporters, how much do you, if at all, or how much do you watch young reporters, right, and, and see what they're doing, and have you ever said, hey, just FYI, you know, it might work better this way? Mm-hmm. Yes, I watch them a lot, um, and I'm really grateful that, you know, um, I'm lucky that, um that some of them have trusted me to, to help them along with their careers. I'm always anxious to talk to them and see how they're doing and all of that and help and ha- and happy to help. Um, I'm always a little bit leery about inserting and sounding like, you know, that's wrong. But I do see things. I do see mistakes. Um, not mistakes. That's not the fair word. I, I, I do think see choices that, that I think they could do better with. And I would love to say something. So when I'm given the opportunity in front of a big group, I always do. Um, and if anybody came up to me one-on-one, I would offer. But, like, some little things. Like, this drives me crazy. And maybe this is because I'm old. But if people sit at a game and they don't even have a notebook next to them, um, you know, I keep play-by-play. If you don't want to keep play-by-play, that's cool. But you should have a notebook next to you to write down what you're, what you're seeing. Like, I, write, I keep play-by-play not just because I want to know, you know, Ryan Archidiakono passed to Chris Jenkins to win the national championship. I write down you know, where Ryan was on the court, what his face looked like, what someone else's face looked like, what I heard. So you don't have to keep play-by-play, but your observations, you should be, you shouldn't just be sitting there on Twitter not list, not writing things down. Another one, if you're in a press conference and all you're doing is going like this and tweeting what the person is saying, A, that's rude. I was taught to look people in the eye and have a conversation. If they're taking their time to sit at a podium and answer your questions, the least you could do is give them your undivided attention. Do you have, if you have to tweet, I understand it. But don't just put your head down and tweet. And also, by the way, ask a question too. Don't lean on everybody else to do the work for you. Come armed with a question. Do your job. So those are the things that really set me off to be honest with you <laughs> oh, those are good those are fair no that the last thing drives me crazy i nothing yeah. worse than a preload well I, i've had I, i've had i have done this and i'm not necessarily saying i should be proud of it but i don't care i was on the um after the regional one year you're allowed on the court after either the regional or the final four to interview players and whatnot and um i forget who it was it was somebody's mother that i had gotten a relationship with and I was talking to her one-on-one, and I had purposefully pushed myself to the side of the court and was very clear that we were talking one-on-one. Oh, and this, this leads to my other pet peeve. Someone came into the conversation with their phone and just shoved it into the conversation. No. They were looking the other direction. They weren't even 
engaged in our conversation. They were just recording it so that they knew in case they, then they could listen to it later and see if it was actually interesting of use to them. I took the, I put the, took the phone and I pushed it down. And the person said, what are you doing? I said, I'm sorry, this is a one-on-one. -on -one. You're welcome to speak to them when you want. But this is my interview right now. And I also suggest that you probably insert yourself into the conversation as opposed to just your phone. That to me is rude. Like to come in and just stick a no, phone no. in and not even, like not even make eye contact. Like I'm just gonna steal your stuff. That's wrong. Yeah. Um, you, we talked about it a little bit, but the Collegian, you worked on the Collegian. Steve, you worked on the Collegian, right? We were together. We were like, we were like, come on, we were like the greatest magazine editors in the history of the Collegian. If you go back to those bound <laughs> volumes, which are no longer in the building, it was a hell of a, it was a hell of a fall football season with that magazine. It really was. <laughs> All right. Oh, I, and I worked for the Collegian, certainly at a different time period. Um. How essential was that to, to your career? Changed, like, changed everything. Honestly, I tell every student that I sit in front of, you are at your college and you are not on the newspaper, the radio, the TV, whatever it is that you want to do, you are doing it wrong, like 100% wrong. Um, I mean, there is only so much a professor can mimic in a class. They do really good jobs and, and they challenge you and they make it harder and they teach you nuts and bolts. But you have to stick your feet into this job to do it. And the collegian... Um, first of all, because it was top to bottom students, because there was the pressure of deadline writing, because it was came out five days a week, because I was dealing with Joe Paterno in a massive football program that was like the serious real world with real reporters every day. We traveled. We did, I mean, you had to figure out how to travel, how to get yourself in the building. I mean, everything, everything. Like, it, it, I could not imagine doing this job without having been on the Collegian, period. Like, there's just no way. There's there's absolutely positively no way. I just, I mean, we had to be accountable for what we wrote. We had to edit it. You know what I mean? You had to find your access. You had to find your stories. You had to play by the rules or decide when it was okay to go outside of them. I mean, look, I had the student directory that had everybody's phone number, including the athletes. And I got yelled at by the SIDs. I'm like, well, <laughs> if they say they can't talk to me, that's fine, but I'm going to call them. So those are all lessons that you learn. You can't learn them in a classroom. Uh, there's no way I could do this job without it. None. I, I agree with that. One of my favorite, and I won't, I won't name names here, but because I think this person might listen to the podcast. But oh. there was a Penn State quarterback that transferred, and he had either had class with him, or like saw him outside the Willard Building, and just was like, "Hey, are you transferring?" And he told him that, and that was how he broke the story. Yeah. It was. I mean, it's kind of neat. I always tell students like, like "You're students. Like, like, use it. You're a student. Yeah. You have. Like, I don't. I'm not." 20 use your access <laughs> mike mike porman is ringing in my ears right now because he always would say that about you know use your access use what you have because you know use your edge no offense to neil rudell but he doesn't live he doesn't live in state college he doesn't you know hang out with these people that are your peers and use and also use your like i always like use your common denominator like you guys are co-students you you can have you can find a feature on a as students that is students can find a feature on an athlete far different than I am because I don't, I, I don't, you know, I'm not on TikTok that much. You know what I mean? Like you have common experiences that I don't have. You could write a completely different angled story than I can. And Jay Wright has always told me, and I've never been offended by it. He's always told me I interview him completely different than anybody else because I'm a woman. He doesn't mean that in a disparaging way. He just means I approach things differently. And I do. And I don't make apology, apologies for it. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I see things differently. And I use that to my advantage. I don't, that's fine. That's totally fine. 
And in terms of the, the complementary thing to that with the access doing, I think for, for not that we have a, a lot of young listeners, listeners younger than you, it's that use your connections in the press box too. Yep. I was always amazed as a collegiate reporter, the number of people that didn't know who was, who was sitting around them or who they worked for. Or if you're stuck on the road and you needed a ride somewhere and somebody was going to give it to you and they were from the Philadelphia Inquirer, take it, talk to them along the way, do that kind of stuff just because it, it makes you known. It makes you a, a commodity and a connection that works for you and maybe for them. I always say introduce yourself because we were all you once, you know, I mean, and even if you're not young, I mean, just again, common decency. Like if someone's sitting next to you for two hours, introduce yourself. Sure makes the day, right. it makes the game go a lot more quickly and you have a lot more fun and you talk to somebody and whether you're my age or young, you might need that person or that connection down the road. It's, it's always networking is so important. I mean, when I was covering the Bernie Fine mess at Syracuse, there was a young reporter at the student newspaper named Michael Cohen, who was phenomenal. And Pete Famel and I both like practically adopted him. I mean, because he deserved it. He got a job at the Syracuse Post Standard because of us. He got a job at the Commercial Appeal. He got a job with us at the Athletic. I mean, he earned it because he's talented. But we befriended him and sort of said, well, we will shepherd you. We'll do whatever we can because we think you're really good. Um, same thing, we have a woman, Kendra Andrews, who works for us. She was a Gonzaga student, and I met her when I was at the NCAA tournament. And I'm like, whoop. And she was graduating, and she she was had been like stringing for us, if you will, as a student. And I went back after the NCAA tournament. I called my aunt. I'm like, we have to find a place for her. She's too good to not hire. And we did. We hired her. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, speaking of the NCAA tournament, Steve, you, you have a good question here. Um, what is the plan for you for the final four and slash the tournament? Do you know, like, do you have any ballpark inclination other than maybe you're going to Indiana? No, I have a pretty good inclination. It's, um, I know what I'm doing. I just don't know where I'm sleeping, um, (laughs) yet entirely. So I don't know exactly when the tournament is going to start. Selection Sunday is still, I think it's March 14th is still selection Sunday. The tournament will start at some point that following week. I have a feeling that the first four will not be Tuesday. That might get pushed back later in the week. And then basically we're going to go from Selection Sunday. I don't think we're going to have your typical Thursday, Sunday. I I envision an every other day kind of thing for a while. Anyway, March 14th to April 6th, I'm living in Indianapolis. That's that's what I'm doing. Um, that's, you know, access-wise, I don't think um, we're going to have a lot. Like, we're not going to have tier one access, if you will, with the where you're getting tested every day. There's just too many of us. So we will be in some rafters watching the game doing Zoom phone calls. But that goes back to your friendships and being kind to your sports information directors because my hope is that though I'm sitting in the rafters and I'm on a Zoom call, I can call Barrett Henderson at Gonzaga and say, listen, can I get Corey Kispert on the phone for 10 extra minutes today just, just to do a better story on the off day and hopefully because I've been a decent person, he'll do that. So, yeah, we're basically relocating to uh, Indy for a month. <laughs> we're just trying to figure out if it's going to be in an Airbnb or a hotel room or what. But, I mean, I'm not seeing any live games. I'll be thrilled. So I'll take it. We talked um, earlier on the show on a previous episode. We talked to Emily Kaplan, mm-hmm. who covered the NHL in the bubble, and she recommended doing an Airbnb because she had a kitchen and basically had a place to cook. Well, and that's what we've been we've been discussing with my editors. Like that's what we were saying. Like, you know, you can order out to an extent, but I I, I want to be able to eat my breakfast. Like, I don't want to order in breakfast. You know what I mean? And I want to be able to do my laundry. Now, the challenge, like I was saying, like I like 
So it's probably going to be me and three guys. I'm like, I am not doing their laundry. I'm not cleaning them in the kitchen. Like, I don't know if I want to leave with three dudes. Like, I just, can I get a room to myself? But that's my question. So we have to figure out the logistics. That's funny. You got a lot of questions this week in your mailbag, a lot being three about Penn State basketball. Yeah, that was a lot. What, from a media standpoint, and a fan's being served by the media standpoint, what should fans' expectations of, of knowing the story about what happened be? What happened like, with Patrick? Months later, yeah, like at this at this point, sh- should fans have an interest in that? Is that too much? Hey, it's a private thing. The coach and it stands. Like, what, what should fans' expectations of the media be for stories like that? Well, I mean, so I think it's to me, I think it's more of the expectation of what the school should do and shouldn't do. Um, okay. You know, we know what happened previously with Rasheer Bolton and all of that went down. And when Sandy Barber sat down and said it was not just that and not related to that, mm-hmm. it let open a very big door. What was it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that there are privacy concerns and all of that, but I mean, you let the imagination run wild and you can really do damage to a person's reputation, right? I mean, we could sit here and think all kinds of horrible things about Patrick Chambers that perhaps aren't deserved. Um, or we can lessen it and think that I don't make, and belittle the situation. To me, the responsibility starts at the university level to find a way to be a little more transparent about what happened. I mean, of all places in the country that should probably have learned to be a little bit more transparent right now, I'd put Penn State at the top. Silly me. Um, so I just think that you know the more information you give, the better. Now maybe they can't, but you know, um, look, I tried. I, you know, I don't. You guys probably know, but others probably don't. FOIA in Penn State, you, you'd have better luck going. Oh, you'd be better off going to Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't get at it. I tried. I immediately tried. There's no. So there is no public information request that I can do as a journalist to get it. Could I talk to other people? Yeah, but I am, in fact, I had someone call me to try to facilitate phone conversations with players who were upset about what happened to Patrick. And I thought about it and I thought, well, okay, I can talk to them, but I can't just write that because I don't know what happened. Like, I can't put out this story that is this great defense of the great humanitarian person that is Patrick Chambers, who I, by the way, love and know. Like, I've known Patrick for years. So I, tend to think good things about him. But I can't write a story as a fair journalist with just a bunch of players defending him, not knowing what happened. Because what if it's really bad? Then I look yeah, foolish. I thought there was going to be another door too. Like I think when the yeah. news conference happened, they said it wasn't that. Well, At some point you're going to get the, the word. Well, what it was. And, and, and I don't know happened. how to, and I don't, like I said, short of right now getting either Sandy or Patrick to discuss it, I don't know how you get it because nobody knows. Um, and I just, like I said, I just, I've tried, like I said, but I won't write one side of it. I just can't write. He's a great coach, and they never should have let him go. I'm sure those guys totally believe that, and they are absolutely right and fair to believe that. But I can't write that unless I know what happened. Do, do, does Penn State – this is great because this is – you know, I got a real job there too, so this is kind of questions are always fun. Does Penn State care about men's basketball? <laughs> Loaded question. I mean, you – uh, I mean, I answer it how you like. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, yeah. there's a pers- my perception is that the that the media covering it almost cares more about it than people in the athletic department do. Like they'd like the team to be better because it'd be something good to cover both mm-hmm. beat writers from the collegiate on to national stuff because it's a Big Ten program that would be good. But what's your sense of it? I mean, you've seen everybody nationally. You know what's know what's going on. Mm-hmm. 
I don't, do I don't think they care enough. Let's put it that way. I don't think they care mm-hmm. enough to the level of a power five conference school to make it really good. Um, I think that, um, there are small little things that they do that send that message home about, you know, where Penn state basketball ranks, uh, in things. I mean, you can start obviously with Patrick's salary. I mean, comparatively, it was it was laughable. Um, you can go to things, you know, by having spoken to him about things off the record, about small, minute details of things that they can't get or have to beg to get um, that, uh, you know, um, just this just aren't right. In the practice. The, 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 the facility and reported, all that, yeah. The, yeah, it's been reported a couple of times rock stars have literally kicked yeah, them out. Yeah, I wrote a whole of, column about the rock stars kicking yeah. them out and, and a, a career fair. You know, they sent them to the yeah. white building, or not the white building, the rec, I don't even know where they sent them, it doesn't matter. Uh, but not in their own gym. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's always been sort of like, um, hey, if we're going to get the Big Ten money, Big Ten network money, mm-hmm. no matter what we do, that's cool. And uh, if the team's good, that's great. That's awesome. We will, we will hop on the bandwagon and ride it. But you have to do something to actually make the bandwagon go. You have to invest money up front in the program you have to make the players feel important and they don't and you know look penn state football i'm not saying doesn't deserve the money they get because they they drive the ship i totally understand i'm a realist i get why penn state football gets what they get but there has to be there has to be something comparable like to do to to match it you want fans to come to your game but you have to give them a reason to want to come to the game and you know it should not have taken as long as it did. And certainly some of that may be Patrick's fault for sure as a coach, but there are infrastructure things that a a coach needs and should not have to ask for at the level that Penn State is because it's a hard job even with athletic department support. The recruiting base is not obvious. Um, There is no tradition to, to hold on to. You know, so it's a it's a hard job. I mean, you can't go to it's hard to go to Philly and get players from the Big East schools. It's hard to go to the Midwest and get them from the other Big Ten schools. It's hard to ask a kid to come to a place that is in the middle of nowhere and nobody talks basketball. So it's a hard job without the administration support. And I I just don't think they care enough. I think what they do after the season will be very, very telling. Yes. That's a really good point. That's I mean, really point. It, it, you can keep Jim Ferry. I don't have anything against him. He's a head coaching experience. I get it. Decent guy in the middle of a global pandemic, handed a job in the middle of a catastrophe. I, I get it. It's the cheap, easy thing to do. But is it the right thing to do? I'm not so sure it is. I think the right thing to do is cast a net and see what's out there. And I think there are some people out there that you might be surprised because I think what this job needs is kind of what Patrick was before he got beaten down by it. A young, energetic coach who's going to come in and like stand up on tables and scream, "Come, come, watch us!" Yeah, yeah it's going to have to be that because that's. The, I mean, if they do it, because that, that's what their cost certainty is, right? Yep. Their cost certainty is we get the Big Ten money, and we're not going to pay this much because then they got to fill the arena to pay for, for more of another coach, right? Yep. So that's the other part of investing and getting them there. So that's the, the comfort, comfortable thing is they got cost certainty with this. We know how the budget works with this, yep. and we lost all this money from football yep. or didn't get this money from whatever. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it will be. I, I think it'll be very telling, like I said. And I don't think you had to go out and break the bank. Like, I think sometimes fans, of course, have delusions of grandeur. You know, you're not going to get, like, I mean, you're not going to get Jay Wright to come from Villanova to Penn State, people. Like, that's not, you know what I mean? Like, you could get John Becker from Vermont. You could get Dane Fife, maybe, from Michigan State, the assistant coach. You could get a really good young coach, a really good mid-major coach. You're not going to get an established head, you know, you're not going to get, I mean, maybe you can get Rick Pitino if you want him, but I don't know how that's going to fly. <laughs> Um, 
I have one more like long-term question then we have a couple rapid fire Uh-oh. questions that we like to do with our guests but has there ever been an interview that you've done where you've been absolutely intimidated uh yeah a few <laughs> a few um so going on the way way back machine um when i was in florida um i kind of tripped myself into a one-on-one one interview with michael jordan when he was playing baseball for the birmingham barons and i tripped myself into it because the PR person, they had a press conference the day before. That's what they did with Michael. They never had one-on-ones or sit-downs. And he said, just hold, raise your hand and I'll get to your question. So I, being the nice little girl that I was, I did. And then he never got to me. People started shouting. It was degenerating into a mess. And I went up to him. I'm like, oh, I was kind of bummed. I didn't really have a good question. But I was like, oh, that sucked. He's like, well, show up tomorrow. And I won't stop you from trying to talk to him. I'm like, okay. So I show up thinking, there's no way Michael Jordan's going to sit down and talk to me. Like, I was... I was trying to think. I was four years out of college. So, I mean, whatever I was, like 25, 26. He sat down and talked to me. And then I was like, oh, my God, I don't have any questions for this man. Like, it was so scary. The second person that intimidated the hell out of me, honestly, was Pat Summit. I don't know. Like, she just, she's just such an imposing, intelligent lady. Um, she terrified me. The first time I ever interviewed John Thompson, he did now, since then, oh, easy peasy. But the first time, I mean, because John doesn't, you don't interview John Thompson. John interviews you. Like, you ask a question, and he I've asks you six that. right back. And you better be on your toes and ready to answer. So that was a little bit like, oh. So, yeah, there's been there's been a few. <laughs> all right. I just wanted to oh, ask yeah. you always have good interviews. And I, that's yeah. That was funny. All right, are you ready for our, our rapid-fire questions, and then we'll let you Probably not. They're easy. Okay. They're easy. All right, they're all Penn State-related. Oh. So, your favorite creamery ice cream flavor? I don't even know what the names of them are anymore. I haven't been to there in so long, so that's bad. I mean, I like mint chocolate chips. What do they even call it there? I don't know. Okay. I think it's just mint chocolate okay, chip, right, Steve? <laughs> I think so. Um, a Beaver Stadium whiteout or a Final Four? Oh, that's a hard one. Um so because I get to go as a fan of Beaver Stadium Whiteout, I mean, Final Four, I got to work and I got to, like, be civil. I can be a nut at a Beaver Stadium Whiteout. <laughs> um, you have one night to come back to State College and you have one night only. You have to pick one bar you're going to. Which one are you going to? Are, they even, are our bars still there, Steve? <laughs> It's going to depend which one you name. I don't know. Give it a shot. I, I mean, so when I was... My two go-tos were always Cafe 210 and The Gaff, so... Okay, they're still there. Okay, phew, okay. okay. But only if JR is playing at the cafe, and uh, or he's to play at the saloon, too. And he partially owns I know he does, so only if he's actually going to play. So I'd have to like, go back in the time machine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lastly, what was your go-to dining comments? What do you mean? For food? Like, where, where food, did I for eat? food, yeah. Oh, I mean, like, yeah, where did you I eat? tried not to, but, um, so I lived in Simmons Hall my freshman and sophomore year, and they had a dining hall, you know, right in, right there, and Chicken Cosmos were the best dinner on the, best dinner of the week every night, because they were like, you know, pressed chicken patties. That was the best we could do back then. Pretty. Every person that is about your, you people's age <laughs> always says that these, these Chicken Cosmos are like the bomb. Well, and that was not a thing. Like it, it was wasn't like a high bar. Oh, I was just gonna it was, say it was the highest they weren't bar. that good. It's just everything else was so bad. My roommate, my roommate Kristen, worked <laughs> in the dining hall, and she would make sure I always knew when Chicken Cosmo night was, so I could be there. So yeah, no, it was. Oh yeah, God. that was pretty much it. Pretty pathetic. 
Oh my gosh, that's funny. That's funny. All right, do you have anything you want to plug? Give a shout out to anything like that? No, just check us out on the Athletic. Buy a Big East book in a few months. That's you know, <laughs> that should get me done, and, and pray that I get to see a live basketball game someday. Let's pray that we yeah, all right? get to see exactly. a live basketball game someday. I'd, I'd I'd take any basketball game. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, Dana. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thanks. Thanks. Cool. That was. That was a very good interview. It was a very interesting interview. And we finally learned more about The Athletic and what it's like working at The Athletic, where I think we both wish that we were working had we stuck on our career path of sports journalism. And, and not been and, and been as good as some of the people that are there. Um, sure. In my case, I'll speak for me and not, and not for you. Yeah, I mean, anytime I talk to Dana, it, it's, a, it's a good day. Um, you know, from the time at the collegiate until now, just forthright, honest, down to earth, and, and good at what she does. That's uh, that was one of the cool things about that interview. I mean, she was very down to earth about it. Um, I liked the part where she and she she talked about it a little bit with the Matthew McConaughey part, but she also talked about it with the, the Princeton story that she did. And I, I think that that there is such power in telling people's stories, and I think that's something that I don't want to say. Don't want to you know get on my soapbox here, but I I don't know if it's been lost, but it. it definitely doesn't shine through as much as it used to um sp- certainly since sports illustrated has not been sort what sports illustrated was um you know the newspaper isn't really the newspaper anymore i, I that is one of the reasons why as we talked about i love the athletic but i, I really like that what dana had to say on that yeah I, good stories are about people you know and you got to find a way to get to them and, and and share their story or tell more about them or make them relatable to, to your readers, and I think she does a good job with that, with almost every story she touches, but some of those special ones like that, man, she knows how to hit it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about that? Yeah. Thanks, Dana. Buy her book next yes. October. Thank you. Whenever that book drops, um, I will definitely buy that. Um, all right. You know what? I want to talk about Steve. I know that I am 26 years old, but my God, did I enjoy the heck out of the Nickelodeon broadcast. Did you watch it? Did you get a chance to watch any of it? We came back uh, from daughter getting engaged and got back in time just for the from the second quarter on of that game, and I watched it exclusively there, um, and it was better than watching Nance and Romo. I liked everything about it. God, young Sheldon is the best rules analyst in in all of <laughs> all of sports. Like it's just not even close. Um, I was glad to hear glad to see SpongeBob again. My daughter was daughters were. For SpongeBob fans, I think I still somewhere have SpongeBob pajama pants. Two different versions. Um, it was good to see SpongeBob again. Um, yeah, I thought they did a good job. I, I thought no, Eagle was really good, and, and, and I was. I'm curious to know how much of it was scripted in terms of. Like there was a segment we talked about extracurricular activities, and they went on a school tangent about being good in school and also doing participating in extracurricular activities that were kind of aimed toward that age group, and I don't know if that was off the top of the cuff off the cuff or he was just going to have a couple talking points but I thought everything about it was good I, I you know maybe I got tired of some of the younger announcers with the imitations at points you know you didn't like black I nitpicky. love blacks but Lex that's nitpicky the... right like that's I, 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 so I, yeah I thought it was great like give me more give me more for whatever big game they have yeah I I mean I thought it was great you know and like honestly like to have any complaints about it at our age like we weren't the audience, like we weren't right, exactly. the, the whatever. I, I, um, as I do, was watching Pat McAfee, which you know goes really hand in hand with 
Nickelodeon, let me tell you. Um, and he actually interviewed Lex Lumpkin, and he, he brought up a good point. And I would actually like ask this point, if there's anybody out there that listens, that has younger kids. Like, what did your younger kids think of it? Like, because like, the, like, the youngest humans that I know aren't, or they understand football, they know plenty about football, and, and they're, you know, 13 years old. So, like, it's quite not quite there. Like, I think that's like the 6 to, to 12 age was kind of more so. So I, I would have liked to like hear that perspective on it, but I don't know. Hopefully somebody will maybe write a, a feature piece about that or somewhere something somewhere. But I, you know, it was fun. Like it was it was a fun way to watch a game. It it was nice a little bit of a breakup, like of just kind of the monotonous like breaking down the X's and O's. Mm-hmm. Like um and even at one point so Anna, you know, she didn't she didn't really become a football fan she was a football fan, but she wasn't into the game as she is now when we first met. And she was like, I wish high school Anna would have watched this because I I have so many questions that were answered today. Like not like that she already knew them, but that like, so I thought that was a really interesting point because there were, I think we as a society of sports people are so caught up in like, we know the rules, we know X, Y, and Z, we tweet about it and all that, like that we forget that not everybody knows what offsides might mean or, or what, you know, the difference between a neutral zone infraction and, and, and a false start is or, you know, what whatever it may be. I thought that was really good. And I thought like they didn't, like at, at no point did it ever feel cheesy. Like it didn't feel like <clears throat> over the top or anything like that. They, I like, I thought the end zones were awesome. The only thing, and I think in a non COVID era, it would have happened. Like I wanted to see somebody get slimed on the field. Like I wish, I almost wish it was like, not like necessarily the Super Bowl, but I wonder if maybe Disney sees this, they don't really have slime, but they could do something else. And for the pro bowl and like the winning coach get doused in that, like that would, would have been cool. I know Sean Payton then did get slimed, but it wasn't the same thing. Like, or even uh, Cam Jordan could have gotten slimed there. Like, that would have been funny. Like, as, as long as they had that written up and agreed to prior yeah, to the game, yeah. it would have been great. No, I, I, thought, I thought so, too. I, I, think, I think here's the reason it'll happen again is, 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 yeah, there was positive reaction to it, probably from a lot of people who weren't of that age, because I don't know who those exactly people are or follow them on social media. But the, there's, there's ad inventory there. Like all the commercials for Nickelodeon that I saw during the, all the commercials, most of the commercials I saw during the game, preponderance, 80%, were for Nickelodeon itself, right? So they hadn't sold ads for it. They were just trying this out. The next time they do this, they've now had 2 million people who watch this game this way, and they know that many people are going to watch the next one or maybe more if it's a bigger game. They can sell those ad breaks and make another layer of revenue that they didn't have this time. So I think that's, from a sports business way, a reasonable reason will happen again and people will watch but it didn't feel cheesy it could have been a little more cheesy and i'd have been okay with it right like it could have been yeah. a little more goofy and that would have been okay no i i mean like i said like i it didn't feel like anything was over the top the 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 spongebob field goal post was neat the mm-hmm. uh the the end zone the slime zone thing was cool i thought they did an excellent job of explaining what the red zone is that was something that even like i had followed football for years mm-hmm. and i never quite really grasped why it was that and what why that was kind of different and i thought they did a good job with that yeah and, and i missed i missed what i missed and i think i i forget i texted you about this i, I missed that the, the trophy thing was actually a takeover 
by Barstool. Like, I guess you tweeted about it. Then, like, I, yeah. I missed that piece. That was an age thing for me because I wasn't following the Barstool hacking the thing. I thought it was just Chicago fans being like, yeah, no. give it to him. He sucks. No, so yeah. I missed that piece of it. But again, they had interaction with people. The trophy thing would have been cool. I kind of thought they weren't going to do it when they realized what was happening, that, that they would just say, oh, forget it, let's not do this because it's clearly something. Like someone else wanted type thing. Right, like, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, they'll probably catch on to that. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, the other thing that was cool, and this wasn't necessarily for you either, but there were a lot of references to, like, Hey Arnold, like the Hey Arnold theme mm-hmm. song played and, like, Jimmy Neutron. And, like, those aren't on Nickelodeon anymore. Um, the other thing is, and I know maybe one day we can go into a deeper dive on this, but Nate Burleson was great. Like, he, he – somebody, like, should offer him a contract immediately. I know, you know, he does the, the Good Morning Football thing, and he's great on that. And that's, I, for me, one of the best morning sports shows, mm-hmm. if not the best right morning sports show right now. Um but he was excellent. Like, he was breaking down the game, and he was breaking it down. And I know it was geared toward kids, but, like, he would accidentally do it in an in a adult way that made it easy for me to understand. It's still easy for a kid to understand. It, it was, And it wasn't like, okay, like, here's what they did. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, oh, you know. Drew Brees did this here. He he probably should have done that. Like he ran this route. This guy ran that route instead of that route. And as opposed to, well, the analytics here, Steve. You know, yeah, no, no, yeah. no eagle and, and Nate Burleson for me were, were the best team that did that game. Period. Like I, yeah. I had no inclination at any time to think, oh, I'm missing Nance and Roma. Let me turn over to, to CBS. No desire whatsoever. I would rather sign me up for Noah Eagle and Nate Burleson any game going forward that's on CBS. I know it's not going to happen, but they were good. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was excellent, and I, I, one, I want them to do it again, but I also, too, know that they'll do it again after yeah. how successful it was, it, no doubt. All right, um, anything else we want to quickly chat about, or we just want to go to old guy, young guy? Old guy, young guy. I old don't guy, have a long attention span. I'm getting tired. All right, you're getting tired. It is getting late. It's only 8 o'clock, but, you know, we we got a we rocking chair waiting for me upstairs. Well, Come on. but we've also sat through the Steelers game, and I stayed up for the end of the national championship game. Did you make it uh, up? When it got to 52, I figured they were done scoring, so I went to bed. I hope okay. they were done scoring, so I went to bed. Yeah, that was it was bad. While I wanted uh, to continue to watch Ohio State lose, I still went to bed. Yeah, that was enjoyable, though. That was enjoyable. Um, okay, so you go ahead and ask it. You, it so, you're the one who wrote so it. old guy, young guy, I just didn't know... You're very handy, and we've talked about this briefly at times before. I'm curious, do you have like power? Are the power tools like plug-in power tools, or are they like the battery power tools? Like, has the age thing broken when you buy your power tools? They're all like the, the plug-in, 18 volt, whatever, or are they still like actual plug-in the wall power cord tools? I'm gonna be honest. I mean, I guess like at some point I would have, because like batteries haven't really been a thing. But I I didn't know that there were plug-in drills and saws. I, did, I mean, my miter saw plugs in and my table saw plugs in, but they kind of have to. But like a, 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 a wall, that sounds awful. Like, like, what if I need to drill something like outside or that? Then you have an extension cord. That's what they make. The, but see, so all of my stuff, because I bought it 20 years ago, right? Almost all of my stuff, except for like a, one cord with drill, is all corded, right? So if I'm going to drill something, that's if wild. I'm going to make my bar, right? And I'm going to need to drill into the, to the, to the concrete to put in the, the screws. It's going to have to be, like, the corded drill. I mean, uh, yeah, so, okay, so I have a my core set of, of drills, they're craftsmen, and then I have a, a, a handsaw that is also craftsmen. 
and those are all battery operated and they're great and i love them um and then we have a it's a crappy black and decker um drill that i don't know how we use after using my craftsman one and then we also have a jigsaw that is um black and decker which that one works that works pretty well it's a nice little jigsaw but yeah that's wild i i i, I mean i guess that makes sense but also that doesn't uh, uh, yeah now cool. are you one of these are you one of these people um, my dad is this way and like i kind of sort of becoming this way are you one of these people that are very loyal to the brand of tool that you buy I'm becoming that way. I mean, I think if I go battery stuff, because if once you're, because especially once you're into the battery world, right, it's always interchangeable by that brand. So I think right. you almost have to be. Um, like the circular saw that was a plug-in was probably. I have two of those. I have one that I inherited from my father-in-law when he passed away, and I have the one that we got when we first started. And I think those are both either a Sears or a Craftsman kind of stuff, because those are usually the good stuff. My hand tools are either Craftsman or like something I got one off that was like a leftover somewhere that, that aren't as good. But yeah, probably like I'll probably end up being loyalish to my Dewalt stuff just cause it's been good to me. Like, you know, that's just kind of like my, the cars and trucks, right? You know, well, that's true. That's a good point. That's a good way to look at it. One of my favorite uh, TikToks out there is this TikTok of this guy that's walking down the aisle of Home Depot. He's walking down the tool aisle and I never noticed this until I saw this video. This guy walks down and it's like, this is under lock and key. This is under locking. It's like DeWalt, Milwaukee. And then there's one other brand. I forget what the brand is. And then the last brand is that Ryobi, the Ryobi <laughs> or whatever. And it's like, they just want you to steal it because there's no like, <laughs> there's no security package on it. There's no lock and key on it. And I, I have never like, I, every time I walk down, I walk down that aisle tonight, in fact. And I, every time I walk down, I laugh about that because like, it's, it's so true. <laughs> So I, that is one thing, since buying a house and becoming more handy, I have learned, like, spend a little bit of extra money on tools. Yep. Um, tools and hoses, right? So your hose doesn't kink, that kind of stuff. So you have an outdoor hose, like, buy a hose that's going to be thicker so it doesn't kink. Just cause that's interesting. Tools. I never thought about mm -hmm. that. Um, the, but I will say, the, speak, uh, on the opposite end of that, the one place that I have found that I love, and next week, next Tuesday night, I'm very excited to go, Harbor Freight. Do you guys have, you don't have a Harbor Freight in State College, do no, you? No, Altoona and Williamsport both have them, though. Okay. I am obsessed with that store. Do you have your 20% off coupon? Uh, excuse me. Do I, have my, do I have my 20% coupon? <laughs> I went, I drove to the Baltimore area so I could use my 25% off coupon okay, good. the other weekend. Yep. And then, like, I think I ended up, I, I think I bought, like, a $3 thing and it saved me a dollar, but I was like, you know what? This is... 25%, baby. There, it's, it's good. I, I like it there. Um, like I said, I'm excited. I might try to be like the first one of the first people in just to see if I can get like anything free or anything like that. So good for you. Yeah. Very cool. So, all right. Um, this is a good show. Uh, this interview, that interview was awesome. Um, thank you for, again to Dana for doing that. Who apparently is best friends with Steve and have known each other all of their lives. Um, my name is Darian. This is the Stuff Summer Says podcast. Please like with Steve. Please like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us. Uh, we have a couple of reviews in the in iTunes. Thank you if you left a review. Keep doing that. Um, we have an email, Stuff Summer Says podcast at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at Stuff Summer Says. Your Twitter handle is? At Steve Samson. All right. Thanks. Bye.